did you want to reach out and pet a dog, but then your brain told you not to? Yeah. Like I couldn't, I just like couldn't do it. Like I, I, the, the fear of them touching me was so overwhelming that I couldn't, I could not engage with an animal. So if you were to look at me, you would be like, oh, Allison doesn't like dogs. Allison loves dogs. She just can't reach them. Like I'm obsessed with dogs. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. There's an episode of Keeping Up with the Kardashians, I am told. I have never seen the show. Where Khloe Kardashian, who is apparently one of the Kardashians with whom we are to keep up, talks about obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD. She says, Khloe says, that she has OCD, but it's a blessing because it means her house is very tidy. Still, Chloe says that she feels anxiety if she isn't cleaning her house enough. So she goes and sees a therapist and then announces that she's feeling a lot better. I'm actually proud of myself, she says. I feel like I've got it together. I'm not as crazy about things. I'm better. I let it ride a little bit more. It's all wrapped up. It's all resolved in a 30-minute episode. Now, anyone who has actually dealt with real obsessive-compulsive disorder wishes it were anywhere close to that simple. Anyone with OCD knows that what Chloe describes is not OCD. It's, I don't know, it's just cleaning up your house. OCD, according to the International OCD Foundation, occurs, quote, when a person gets caught in a cycle of obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts, images, or urges that trigger intensely distressing feelings. Compulsions are behaviors an individual engages in to attempt to get rid of the obsessions and or decrease his or her distress, unquote. In extreme cases, obsessive-compulsive disorder can take over someone's life, making work or school or relationships difficult or even impossible. In more moderate cases, it's a burden that the person must learn to cope with and work at managing on an ongoing basis. So, now... Let's talk about funny YouTube videos. My guest for this episode is Allison Raskin. She's an L.A.-based comedian, writer, and video maker. Along with her comedy partner, Gabby Dunn, she makes the very popular video series Just Between Us. Originally, it was more of a sketch comedy kind of thing. This is from a sketch called Sexy Dancing. Allison speaks first. Can you teach me how to lie? No. Oh, okay. That was a lie. Damn, you're good. What do you need to lie about? Age, money, ability to love? Why would I need to lie about my ability to love? No reason. Unless you can't love and want to seem like you can, or you can love and want to seem like you can't. Okay, I strangely want to know a lot more on that later. But right now I need to lie to make me seem busy. Not gonna work. You're the most available person I know. I have plans sometimes. You have plans I invite you to sometimes. But over the years, Just Between Us has turned into more of a talk show, more real, more personal. And a lot of it is about mental health. Allison has been dealing with obsessive-compulsive disorder, the real thing, for most of her life. This is from a video where Allison and Gabby talk about OCD. So don't be afraid to, like, kind of, like, push your boundaries and, like, put mud on your legs, you know? Did you do that? Oh, yeah. To what? To try to test yourself? I was part of my behavioral therapy when I was a kid. Went down to the Hudson River, put some mud on my leg. Who told you to do that? My therapist. How did it go? It was a group outing. It went well. 
With other OCD kids? No, me and my therapist. We went to the Hudson River. We put mine on my leg. <laughs> and look at me now. Recently, Allison's fiancé broke off their engagement, which blindsided her, and put her OCD containment strategy to the test. And we'll get to that in this interview. But let's start at the start. And so I guess our story picks up at, at age four, correct? Yes, at, at, the, at the wise old age of four. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so hard. I, you know, I talk about it all the time, but then I, you know, I don't remember it. So it's tough because I'm, I am just relaying what I have been told. Um, I think an aspect of my OCD is a, an intense fear of lying or, or somehow misinforming or misleading and then I to the point where I feel like do I even have OCD and so then I go down that whole rabbit hole but from what I've been told and you uh, constantly think about it over and over and yeah. over <laughs> from what I've been told I was a uh, a pretty happy-go-lucky kid um, pretty pretty carefree down to hang fun to be around <laughs> uh, um, and then I contracted strep throat and then within a few weeks, uh, my personality changed pretty abruptly uh, and to the point where my parents thought that I had a, a brain tumor and they got me, I was really lucky, you know, my parents were hands-on, they were not afraid of going down the mental health route with it. They took me to St. I lived in New York, uh, they took me to St. John's in Baltimore uh, pretty immediately to get me tested. And it was determined that I had OCD rather quickly. Um, so that it's a form, it's called pandas, which is basically means that like the strep throat kind of like activated the OCD in my brain. I speculate um, that I would have had OCD regardless at some point in my life. I think it just happened maybe faster and a more intense onset than, than it would have otherwise. It might have come on more gradually. So I think I had a biological disposition to it. Why did they think it was a brain tumor? Like, what what was your behavior that made them think, "Uh oh, brain tumor"? I just like I just like was a mess. Um, I like was washing my hands where they were bleeding. I like laid down in the middle of the street in an attempt to take my own life. I told my dad like something inside of me. I need to see a doctor. Something inside of me is making me sad. So I was like, you know, I was like a pretty smart kid. So even I knew something was like very wrong. Um, this is all at four or did it grow for a while after the strep throat? This was all at four. So this Jeez. was all like, this was all like very rapidly within like a few, a few days or weeks. So it was like, I think it was the abruptness of the behavior change that they thought it was a brain tumor. And so it wasn't, thank goodness. Um, and so this was like 1994. Four, I believe. Um, I was like, so I was like four turning five. And then, you know, at that point, medications, you know, SSRIs were relatively new and their use on children was like exceptionally new slash unheard of, but they put me on Prozac. Um, they put me on liquid Prozac and I was in therapy and, and, you know, since then I've just sort of been on and off of therapy, on and off of medication and the thing, the thing that you had, the thing that they told your parents was, the the acronym was PANDAS? Mm-hmm. I, I'm just imagining this moment where a doctor tells your parents, I'm afraid she has PANDAS. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, 
to be honest, I don't know if they told them that then or that's what we've gathered since then. I mean, it's a chemical I, triggering of a what we think of as a behavioral emotional condition. It's it's like a chemical. I honestly, and I'm even in school right now for for clinical psychology, and I still don't totally understand it. But it's tricky, I'm sure. Yeah, it's you know the whole thing with with mental disorders is it's like the the biosocial psychological like there's all these different they they haven't determined why these things happen so there's like all these different roots of what what can trigger them and so for me I think of you know I hadn't I think it was primarily biological you know for a lot of people it's a mix it's a mix of your environment it's a mix of your genes it's a mix of trauma it's a mix of you know and I think for me not having really experienced trauma, being very lucky and being in a loving family with a great attachment to my caregivers, it really seemed like this was a, a biological thing that was happening. Yeah, there wasn't a trauma that might have uh, cast out your your sense of control of your own life. Right. Um, yeah. So you so you get the therapy, you get the the liquid Prozac, and did that did things get under control? Did that work? You know, I think my childhood was pretty tough, but then by the time I was 12, I was doing a lot better. And I actually, I I went on Paxil from eight to 12. And then by the time I was 12, I, I went off medication. Um, and then I was off medication from 12 to 18. And then um, senior year of high school was rough and I, I went back on medication. You know, I want to talk about your uh, the recent end of your engagement. I want to talk about your Instagram uh, mental health account. But the th- the thing that people have known you for for years, the videos that you make with your partner. Let's start historically on that. How did that come about? This idea of of you and your friend talking, and then millions of people getting something out of it. How did that get started? <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I have a, a comedy YouTube channel called Just Between Us that I started with my comedy partner, Gabby Dunn, in, wow, in like April 2014. So we are coming up on, on seven years of that. You're a very old person. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I, I had started doing stuff for the internet starting in like my senior year of college where uh, this is a hilarious story now. So I actually, I went to USC for screenwriting and my senior year, I, I took, uh, so that was like either 2010 or 2011, because I graduated in 2011, but I'm not, I can't remember what semester I took it. And it was a web, it was a, a class called Webisodes. And my teacher was like, everything is going to be on the internet. And I was like, oh, okay. And he was like, so make things for the internet. And I was like, oh, okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> and and from you know and and from that moment forward i i started making things for the internet and starting in 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 this fall i will be teaching that class at usc nice <laughs> which is a, a nice full circle moment um are you going to say it in the same way continue making things yeah, for the internet continue to make things for the internet <laughs> he was right um <laughs> And, and so I had been making like a bunch of different web series here. I've been making one-offs for one, you know, that like would like be front page funny or die, but like that was cool, but like it didn't do anything. And I'd make a web series here, make a web series there. Nothing really took off. And then I met Gabby doing stand up, and, you know, we were very, you know, 
I think now we're more similar, but at the time we were very different. Um, and there was a lot of comedy in that. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term odd couple, uh, but that, that really works for comedy. People seem to like that format. Yes. Um, and so it caught on, it turns yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> seems to really work throughout history. Um, <laughs> And so uh, we kind of decided to just sort of do what started out as as like a what we call the couch show, which was us sort of giving ultimately kind of horrible advice uh, to, to listener questions that at the beginning of the show were questions that I just created and pretended that listeners had written in. But like, what what listeners? Nobody was watching the show. And then serendipitously, we both got hired at BuzzFeed Video. And through that, we were really able to kind of like get an audience um, and and the channel expanded. And then once we left BuzzFeed, we had a big enough audience that we felt comfortable like really investing in the channel. And we started making weekly sketches. And that's where I really I found a lot of pride in the channel. So we did like an original sketch every week. And from there, we just sort of like followed what worked. We we'd sold multiple TV shows that didn't get made. We wrote two YA novels. Yeah, so I think that because the couch show started as us answering these listener questions, there was always an element of us, you know, sharing ourselves and our lives and became pretty clear early on that the audience was interested in two topics, which was mental health, um, because I, from the beginning, was talking about having OCD and then um, LGBTQ stuff because Gabby's um, openly and uh, like as she likes to refer to herself, uh, a bi icon. Um, and so that was stuff that we felt was really important to always be sort of addressing on the channel. And, you know, doing the sketches once a week, at a certain point, it was just like non-sustainable. We were really burnt out on it. And so we sort of shifted more into just being ourselves on the channel, talking about this stuff. Um, we grew up and it was harder to maintain the sort of sitcom versions of ourselves and instead we sort of just shifted into our real selves talking more genuinely to our to our audience um and that also was around the time when we made the transition into the podcast where we are our actual selves completely why was it important to talk about ocd uh you said you talked about it from the very beginning why you know it's one of those things where i've just always talked about it uh i it's never been a hard thing for me to talk about um, maybe I used to talk about it in a compulsive way. <laughs> That's a possibility. Um, uh, but then I started three light to... switches and then talk about your OCD and then three <laughs> more light switches. But I, I never, there are certainly aspects of my life that I feel less comfortable talking about, but I have never really felt uncomfortable talking about that. And I, I think I did a video um, a Dear Me video when I was still at BuzzFeed. Um, like a, it was like a trend going around of like things I would tell my younger self. And I think I sort of talked then about that. And, and as soon as I saw that that stuff was resonating with people and that people had been so scared to openly talk about it and had felt so much shame around it and had felt like this was a part of themselves that they needed to keep from other people or this was a part of themselves that they didn't understand or felt was, you know, negative or shameful or something that people wouldn't accept them for, then I was like, okay, well, I have somehow found myself in this position where people are listening to me already. It would be like, how can I not take this opportunity to talk about this? 
I'm in such a privileged place of I I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a doctor. Talking about it will not negatively impact my life. In fact, it'll like positively impact my life in a lot of ways. So I got to do it. Um, and it's the entertainment industry, it's, you know, it's yeah. the way of paying your dues, I guess. Well, like, you know, it, it was my voice. It was my story. And, you know, and, and to see the, and my audience was so lovely in their feedback of like, to have people say, you know, I talk about you in therapy or to have someone say my therapist showed me your video. That's just like, I mean, fuel to the fire. I was like, oh my, you know, like, I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> like it doesn't, you don't get much more encouragement than, than saying a therapist shows your video to their client, you know? More with Allison Raskin just ahead. What kind of misconceptions about OCD do you run across that you try to, to clear up as, as part of this kind of you know, informing the world as best you can trip? You know, I think the biggest one is one I had, which was that I thought that I was a really uptight person. Mm. And I thought that I was a really neurotic, uptight person who had to have things a certain way. And that was my OCD. And like, I'm actually a pretty easygoing person who has OCD. So what's the difference then? Is, is it that it's involuntary? You just can't help the, the feeling that would otherwise be mistaken for being high strung? Kind of. And, or just like being able to separate yourself from your disorder, I think is really important. And being able to not let it define you as a person, I think is, is really important. Um, can you give me an example of what is you and what's the disorder like from your daily life? So I, the biggest one I think is like, I love animals and I've loved animals my entire life. Um, but until I got my dog, I could not touch animals on the street because it was, it, uh, they were too dirty to me. And, um, even though I love them, I just like could not, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't given myself the exposure therapy to be able to do that comfortably. Did you want to, did you want to reach out and pet a dog, but then your brain told you not to? Yeah. Like I couldn't, I just like couldn't do it. Like I, I, the, the fear of them touching me was so overwhelming that I couldn't, I could not engage with an animal. So if you were to look at me, you would be like, oh, Allison doesn't like dogs. Allison loves dogs. She just can't reach them. Like, I'm obsessed with dogs. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? And and now, I and so then in, in 20, 2016, February, I got a dog. And through her, she was exposure therapy to me. And now, I, I won't stop touching dogs on the street. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I won't even talk to you because I'm talking to your dog, you know? And so that's me. That's my true self. But like if you had met me in 2015 on the street, you would have been like, Allison doesn't like dogs. So is is OCD now a thing that is is managed or does it still does it still push you around? So this is the debate that I get with myself all the time. I feel like I'm at a place where I don't I think my mom would have a different answer than the answer I'm going to give you. Where I feel like I'm at a place where it, it doesn't interfere with my functioning enough for me to to push past my final levels of discomfort, 
where there are certain things that like I I don't I don't care to push through where like I shower every day and but like who cares like I'm not hurting anybody I have enough time I I I live in a place where I have enough water to do that my hair is still no uh, you know not to brag luscious like you know like (laughs) but like I think my mom would maybe be like but you should be able to not shower every day Mm -hmm. you know what I mean and be able to be comfortable doing that you've signed a peace accord with your OCD yeah like I've yeah like there's a treaty involved exactly (laughs) no but like honestly but I'll do tons this is so this is the other big misconception and again I I happen to be somebody with contamination OCD so a lot of what you're hearing is this stereotypical idea of what people think OCD is and it is such a wider range than that a lot of people do not even have any aspect of contamination OCD I just have what, what is have contamination that. OCD a cleanliness OCD okay. germophobia people Germoph- call yeah so like a germ but like a lot of people I have friends with OCD you know there are people who who like you would go to their home and it would be dirtier than your home and they have mm-hmm. OCD so mm-hmm. that's just one type of OCD um there's there's like uh OCD that that has more to do with like scrupulosity. Like there's like elements of like religious aspects. There's like all these Moral different implications type. of your yeah. Behavior. Like there's yeah. lots of different things um, that you wouldn't necessarily think about. I just happen to have like maybe the most stereotypical type that you would see on a sitcom. Yeah. Um, except I don't have I don't have anything in, in terms of like clicking things on and off three times. I don't have any of those compulsions. I maybe when I was a child, but I don't have anything about that. Does it bother you when you when you hear about something like that when somebody says, "Oh, I'm OCD about my pencils. I have to keep my pencils on this side of the desk." And you're like, "You have you have no idea." And like, does it I mean, they're trivializing this thing that has been a lifelong struggle for you. How does that sit with you when that happens? You know, it's one of those things where I'm not offended because I live a wonderful life. But I feel for those who don't. So I, I, take, I take offense for those whose OCD is so debilitating for them. And these people just have no fucking idea. I, that's what pisses me off. You know what I mean? Like, I can take it. Like, honestly, my life's probably, my life's great. You know, <laughs> like, I, I, I've been blessed in so many other ways. And, and I, I'm able to f- highly function. But there are so many people where their OCD consumes hours and hours and hours of their day and they're not able to live a functioning life because of it. And I mm-hmm. guarantee that that person who made that joke doesn't understand that. Well, and, there's, and the misconception too, the one that, that, off, that I didn't always understand was um, that it's not, it's not that they have a belief that the the clicking on and off is going to save the world or the world is going to it's not delusional it's it's uh they know that it's not a logical thing so much of the time not all the time but a lot of the time but it's a compulsion to do it and and it's you know that well, it's that has kind to of happen. twofold so it's the fear so that's part of what makes OCD so horrible is it's you know that you feel like you have to do it because what if it does make the world fall apart? Like what if, if you don't, what if you don't do it and then, and then your mom dies, but then you also know this is, this is bananas. 
so it's like i i can't i can't remember the term but there's like there's certain things you can do that is like ego dis let me see if i can look it up um you ever see that episode of lost where they have to push the button or the whole world explodes and then they say oh it's stupid nothing's gonna happen and so they don't push it and then the world explodes (laughs) but that's you know so that's the whole thing so like so the, I think the term is like e- ego dystonic refers to thoughts, impulses, and behaviors that are felt to be repugnant, distressing, unacceptable, or inconsistent with one's self-concept. So basically, you know, they're they're aware that like that these thoughts are not they don't want to be having these thoughts. It's 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 different than like if let's say you were having a delusion and you truly believed that you know that you work for the CIA and you're and you're going to save the planet like you know that that you don't want that's what's so distressing about OCD is you know that you do not want to be flipping this light switch 10 times but the fear the overwhelming fear of like okay but what if you don't do it and then there's that one chance that like then your mom dies like you gotta fuck it you know like so that adds that layer versus just being like yep gotta flip this switch 10 times because then I'm saving the world like it's very different so it adds this layer of just like extreme distress on top of everything else yeah, and so that's what that's what really bothers me about about using this as OCD as this punchline because that's the element that they're not getting. They're not getting that like I don't want to take a shower when I get home. I I don't want to be tracking where you put your bag when you enter my apartment. I don't want to tell you to remove your shoes. I don't want to care about these things. I don't want to not be able to pet that dog. Like all of these things cause me distress because it's not who I want to be. It's not the actions I want to take. It's not how I want to be spending my life. And so it's it's that lack of awareness about this disorder. And it's also the use of the term, I'm so OCD versus saying I have OCD. You know, even just that distinction in itself is like a mistake. So obviously there's, you know, I think a a big push to get people to stop saying that. We have more with Allison Raskin just ahead. Well, hello, I'm Renee Colvert. Hi, I'm Alexis Preston, and we are the hosts of Can I Pet Your Dog? And we got breaking news, we got an expose, and all the beans have been spilled via an Apple podcast review that said, this show isn't well-researched. Well, yeah, no duh. Of course it's not. Not since the day we started has it been well-researched. Guessing and anthropomorphizing dogs is what we do. The Can I Pet Your Dog promise is that we will never do more than 10 seconds of research before telling you excitedly about any dog we see. I'm going to come at you with top 10 enthusiasm, minimal facts. We're here for a good time, not an educated time. So if you love dogs and you don't love research, well, <laughs> you know what? Come on in to Can I Pet Your Dog podcast every Tuesday on Maximum Fun Network. <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe Firestone. And I'm Manolo Moreno. And we host After Game Show, a podcast where listeners submit games and we play them regardless of quality with a dozen listeners from around the world. We've had folks call in from as far as Sweden, South Africa, and the Philippines. Here's an example. This is a game we call Zooey Deschanel, where you turn a celebrity's name into an animal pun. You have an example, Manolo? Brad Gorilla Pit. Oh, that's a pun on Gorilla Pits? Yep. I don't know. If that's, that's Brad Pitt. 
Oh, okay. That's a high quality game that you yeah. could expect. Dr. Game Show has new episodes every other Wednesday on Maximum Fun. Check us out, please. So let's talk about let's talk about what happened this past fall. And you were very public about it, so I'm not <laughs> spilling the beans or anything. No. <laughs> you know, it, it comes if you Google your name, it comes up awfully quickly. Um, oh, does it? That's yeah, wonderful. It really does. Hey, congratulations <laughs> on that. Your fiance ended the engagement and, mm-hmm. and broke up. How was that interweaved with the the sort of mental challenges, the mental obstacles that that you've been dealing with? Like how does that how did a monumental event like that run through a brain like yours? It's such an interesting question. So so basically the story is, you know, I met um, my ex-fiance in February of 2019. We got engaged in May of 2020. And then he abruptly left me in November of 2020, much to the shock of everyone in my life, um, including our mutual friends. So people I knew through him were also very surprised. Um, And the only explanation that I received was uh, something is missing and I'm not excited about the future. That's what he said to you. Mm Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even like he sat me down and, and broke me the news. He just was like off. And I was like, what's going on? And within 20 minutes, it was, I'm done. I don't want to work on this at all. Goodbye. Um, <laughs> on like a Monday night, like out of the blue. Mm. Um, and, what, and, and what is so interesting is in the past – that would have broken me. Like my number one mental health trigger my entire life has been romantic relationships to the point where I'm in the process of writing a book about it. (laughs) Uh Where I've been writing a book about the intersection of mental health and dating and how it is so triggering and, you know, how do we, address both those things and how can we go about it in a healthy in a healthy way I have to say as as horrible as this experience was and I mean what a fucking nightmare I I hope to god this never happens to anybody even people I don't like I hope it never happens to them Um, because you know you're dealing you're you're not only dealing with with the loss of, of the person that you envision spending your life with. And because to me, being engaged was the same as being married. I, I learned that that was not the same for him. But to me, it was as soon as you make that commitment, it's the same. The only difference is you just like haven't thrown your party yet. Like, <laughs> you know, I was like, I was all, it was, I was all, it was the same. And so you have the grief of the loss and then you have the, sh- the sheer unnerving shock of having the rug being pulled out from under you and your entire life as you know it being ripped away and your future being ripped away. And the grief for your future because yes. this thing that you had visualized as a living thing was was gone. 
Absolutely. And I'm someone who has always wanted to be married. That was always a huge goal of mine. That was something I was always striving for, like to a point of obsessionality. Like it was like a big deal. (laughs) Um, And in the past, like I would have been suicidal. I would have. I mean, I, I had a boyfriend in 2017 who left me. I mean, but it was, I mean, obviously it's very different because it was like we had been dating for 10 months. We didn't live together, like whatever. But he, he left me in a, you know, he left me rather abruptly and I immediately was suicidal. I, I didn't want to live anymore. I remember being like, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Um, my, my mom had to fly out. Um, it, it, I, that's what made me, made me go back on medication, you know, all this stuff and and I remember as soon as Jake left I had this sense that even though this fucking sucked I knew I was going to be okay why was that because I'd done the work Mm. I had done enough work at that point on myself on I had I had already I had created enough safety nets that I didn't fall all the way down. And even though like objectively, this was far more traumatic than any other heartbreak in my life and far more disruptive than any other heartbreak of my life, I didn't hit rock bottom because I had those safety nets in place. Mm-hmm. And so I never went to, I'm not going to be okay. I never became suicidal and I never blamed myself, which Mm. was very, very different. What did the future start looking like? Um, Or could you see it at all? It's funny. I feel like, uh, you know, also to have this happen during quarantine. So for my, my, my poor friends to try to come be there for me, but have to stand on the sidewalk, not touching me while I sobbed. Like, Here's a bottle of wine. I'm going to throw it to you. Yeah, like literally, like, um, except I don't drink. So it was just like pizza um, (laughs) and joints. Um, uh, Yeah. So I I said to like, I remember saying to one friend, I was like, so how long is this? How long is this going to be terrible? Three months? (laughs) And do you know what? It was three months. It was three months. Okay. It was well, like see, three you're on months. top of things. It was like three months of it being like kind of really bad. And I, I'm at four months and I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I want to ask you about one of the things you did, which was you, you started this Instagram account about mental health mm-hmm. and about, I, I guess, abstract, non representative illustration of what people look like. <laughs> figures stick figures one might call them um (laughs) and you have these daily uh daily postings of Mm -hmm. of your thoughts on and and what why was that the move and then how did that evolve once the engagement was over and that part was out of your life yeah so this is one of those like serendipitous things where you know i i i i have my main instagram page and obviously being um youtuber podcaster I, I'm of the internet, as I, w- I would like to say. <laughs> You're and, a citizen um, of the internet. A citizen of the internet. And 
you know, I always have mental health content, but it's, it's thrown in with my dog, thrown in with, you know, comedy stuff and, and just photos of, of me when I, when I think I'm being funny or I like my outfit. And, and I, I was like, you know, I think maybe I want to, as I mentioned before, I, I had gone back to school to get a degree in um, clinical psychology just to, I, to have the option of, of becoming um, a marriage and family therapist and then also just to be able to write about mental health from a more informed point of view. And so I was learning all of this stuff in school and I wanted to be able to share everything that I was learning and also my own mental health journey in like a, in a, in one place versus just like kind of across my accounts. And, and so I was like, you know, I think I'm going to create this mental health Instagram and sort of have it be, have it be that one designated area. And so I created the account a couple of weeks before what I refer to as the abandonment (laughs) and, um, I created it and and then he left and I I was like oh fuck um but I I felt like people were already you know it wasn't a huge page or anything but people were already like looking forward to the posts and I felt like I was building this community and it was you know one of the big things for me was like I'm not letting this person ruin my life (laughs) like you know, I'm not, I'm just not letting that happen. And so I decided that I was going to continue the page, but I also was like, my MO from the beginning has always been being myself and sharing my life and being, you know, as I've talked about, like, I think what's perhaps made, made me relatable or made my content worthwhile in any way is the fact that I share the reality of my life and so how could I keep posting and not talk about this and not talk about my healing process and so especially with it being a mental health account here was this opportunity to show what it is actually you know so much of of mental health content is the after right it's it's the I already went through it's the here's the truth that I've learned from the mountain yeah yeah I already went through this thing and here is my perspective of what what I've learned um, and so I had this real opportunity to sort of share what I was learning and feeling as it was actively happening. And so I, I, I did it. Um, obviously, I didn't share the mean thoughts that I was having, and I didn't, and I didn't share. I, I tried to be very cognizant to share just my perspective of it, and to not share, you know, the crazy theories that I had about him or about, you know, I, I tried to really keep it me focused and. It's been amazing how many people shared back and how many people were like, my partner did this to me. My husband of seven years walked out on me. My wife of blank did that left with no notice. My, you know, and I, and I think that there is this real stigma of being left where people feel like they need to say it was mutual they need to say that, you know, that they had a they had a hand in the decision when they didn't. And I'm really trying to make it feel like it's okay to say that that you that that you just got left, and that's the thing that happens. And it's not a reflection of who you were as a person or what kind of partner you were in the relationship. And that it, it's it's just I I look at it as a freak accident. And like that really helped my grieving process to just look at it like, you know, I could have lost my partner in a car accident. Instead, I, I lost him because he 
he gave up, <laughs> you know? Um, and so you got to just keep moving forward and, and to have people reach out to me and say that, you know, I have people reach out being like, my partner left three days ago. My friend sent me this account and it's been helping me is like all that I need to keep going. Like that makes it worth it. Alison Raskin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was lovely. We went to some places today, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. Now I'm like, oh, I, <laughs> nobody cares. I shared too much. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing that you have a mental disorder, learning that you have one can be tough. It's tough news. It's this thing happening inside your mind and it's up to no good. And a lot of people will naturally concentrate on getting rid of a thing like that. If you have the flu, you want that bug out of your system. If there's an infection, you want it to go away. So it's natural to apply the same thinking to a mental disorder. But with mental disorders, it doesn't always work that way. It can be more a matter of managing than getting rid of. And that can leave a lot of people frustrated, feeling like they failed to cure themselves. I like Allison's approach. She learned about her disorder. She has learned the moves that it makes, the distortions that it causes. She tries to figure out which thought patterns are her own and which ones are dictated by her illness. If you can figure out your opponent's strategy, you are more likely to be able to thwart it and then you win more often than you lose. So we've learned about the fact and fiction of the often misused term OCD. Next time on Depression Mode, we move on to another term that is just as misused, bipolar disorder. The part that's the mania or hypomania is I think both harder to diagnose because it's also a way of functioning that we tend to think of as like good like oh that person's really busy very productive <laughs> very productive <laughs> and so it's hard to distinguish between like from the outside someone who's in a, a hypomanic state and someone who is just really ambitious Anna Marie Cox and Dr. Ken Duckworth tell us what bipolar really is and what it's really not Hey, we love it when you recommend Depression Mode to your friends. It might help them. It sure helps us. Also, something that helps a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. It helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations about mental health happening, and then we can change the world. So that's good. Changing world equals good. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free, also always available. Text the word HOME to 741-741 and a human will respond. Depression Mode is your show too. We're all a team. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about, we take requests. You can email us. Our electric mail address is depressionmode at maximumfun.org. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Great talk going on there. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I have thoughts and discussions on all of our episodes there as they come out, plus some fun and silly stuff too. It's free to subscribe. 
I'm on Twitter at John Moe, all one word. Same on Instagram. Hello, credits listeners. Herring, communicate through farts. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. Deb Holland is the Secretary of the Interior. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No one knows the reason Maybe there's no reason I just keep believing No one knows the answer Maybe there's no answer I just keep on dancing I'm Abigail from Mountain View, California and I want you to remember your feelings are valid. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.